Good morning and welcome along to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, Anne Tui, also known as The Room Junkie, will be joining me to talk about recession-proofing interior design. With almost 10,000 burglaries and related offences in Ireland in the first half of this year, we'll be talking about ways to avoid making your property a target for thieves. The annual conference of the Royal Institute of Architects has been taking place this week. We'll meet one architect from Barcelona determined to revolutionise sustainability in the industry. And chef, crafter and Corkonian Lily Higgins will be here to chat about her new book. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show uh, and all of our shows on the podcast, which is up on the Newstalk website, uh, powered by Go Loud. Now, you're very welcome along this morning. Um, I'm in recovery, uh, I have to tell you, from um, a recent burglary. Now, thankfully, it was limited to the outside. It was garden shed and uh, the good bike nicked. They kindly left the not good bike and all the garden furniture which they piled up by the fence uh, in order to take it and it's just that shock that home invasion that feeling that you've been targeted um, because there had been a a kind of a disturbance a couple of nights beforehand which we we heard about we changed the locks we got new padlocks didn't matter they came back a few days later and took uh, the bike um, and and do you know what it was a big deal yes there was insurance and yes it was replaced but that's really not the point um, and I'm glad therefore later on the show to be talking to somebody who's going to update us on um, crime and burglary and thefts and all that and I'd love to get your suggestions for how you proof your home and its surrounding areas against burglaries and thieves and what experiences you've had. So get those into us 53106 or email us at the at com, and you're very welcome along to the show. Now, it can be easy to cut corners when it comes to interior design projects, but Anne Tui, also known as the Room Junkie, is here to share her tips on what to think about when it comes to bringing timeless style to your home without breaking the bank. And you're very welcome back to the home show. It's lovely to have you on. It is always a pleasure. I love the home show. I'm your biggest fan, so it's a thrill to be back. Thank you. That's fantastic. And we're delighted to have you. Now, listen, you are the queen of doing things on a budget and doing it beautifully at the same time so that nobody really knows that you didn't spend all the money. Now, this isn't about compromising standards or cutting corners, is it? No, I actually had to get to 40, which is a while ago now, before I realised I do not compromise. You really can have it all, but you need to change your mindset entirely. So what it's not about is cutting corners. It's not about compromising on standards or settling for cheaper, inferior quality products, items, whatever. You don't embrace current trends at a time like this. You're looking for longevity in your design. You're looking for something stylish and classy that will endure, regardless of whether you love contemporary or transitional or traditional. It doesn't matter. But that is the ethos. That's what you must. That's your foundation. Okay, so so longevity and timelessness. So that to me screams neutrals and keeping it simple. Neutrals in the big ticket items, you know, your sofas, uh, buy the best quality sofa that you can buy. Make sure it fits the space because I'm convinced that this is the biggest mistake that people make is they buy the wrong size furniture and they're stuck with it forever. You can have the aqua clean, easy clean fabric. So you can have a white sofa or light grey sofa that you can actually spill red wine oh, on. Can you? 
Yes, oh. clean with water. It's unreal, unbelievable. A uh, game changer. But that means, you're, yes, you've got neutrals as your backdrop. And then you can add in as much of the pops of colour in your art, your rugs, your cushions, your accessories, your flowers, you know, whatever your thing is. And they don't cost a lot of money. The chain shops, you know, and online, you'll find things that are replicas of what the designer houses are doing. The quality is excellent. There's some Irish companies that are doing amazing work in textiles, ready-made curtains and cushions, you know, top mm. quality, but inexpensive, but they don't look inexpensive. How important, and I presume the answer is very, uh, is making a budget before you kick off on any project? Oh, listen, I'm useless at maths, but married to an accountant and you're the queen of budgets, girl. <laughs> but I've always said this is not sexy, but the budget is the most important part of your interior design project. It really is because it dictates everything. Uh, so you have to get a realistic budget, add in a little bit of contingency, no matter how small this is, and then you stick to it religiously. But and it's all about planning too, Sinead, because I find if you are if you plan things out properly and at the moment because of lead times and budgets, I'm finding my planning is starting with people way, way in advance. But it works. I actually had a client ring me maybe two months ago to say, Anne, I've just realized because we started picking my bathrooms and doing all the negotiations, when we did, you saved me 10 grand. Now that won't always happen, but you know, you need to be planning, planning, planning and I have a theory and it's, you know, it's almost the law of attraction or what, what you seek, seek will find you. You know, if you know what you're looking for, no matter what your price point is, you'll find it or something similar. Yeah. And, and I suppose when it comes Budget to that, planning. yeah, that planning on the on the way out, like so many people, uh, this one included, uh, has the builders in place, the decorators ready to go and you haven't even picked the paint colour and go, crikey, I thought this would all resolve itself in my head. Um, you and, never and pick the paint first. No. Never, 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 <laughs> never. You pick something like your textiles, your sofa, your rug, your um, c- curtains, and then you in that within that colour scheme of whatever you've picked, there's going to be the perfect base colour and you go to your paint shop and you say, that's what I want, you know, and they will match it up and then everything works. It can be easy though to lose the run of yourself. I mean, when you are designing something new and it's living in your head the whole time or it, you're looking at it on Pinterest or Instagram, you think, oh, just one more cushion, just one more big chair over there, just one more bookshelf. Uh, is that how budgets tend to kind of lose the run of themselves? Then in the end, we just can't. It's like the sweets at the checkout. <laughs> yeah, the budget, Pinterest, forget about Pinterest and house and all those things, because I think people, people come to me because they're overwhelmed. They see so much, you know, find things that you like, certainly. Um, maybe no, educate yourself, know your own style, know what's going to work. Um, now definitely is the time to start learning. It's, it's a time for DIY interior design. People, you know, you're talking to people every day of the week. Budgets have lessened for everybody because costs have escalated and everything has escalated. Even the concrete tax, we, the levy we saw in the budget, or even wood, steel, all that. Is that having to change the way people are looking at that planning and budgetary issue? Oh, without a doubt in the world. Without a doubt in the world, every single client of mine has had you know, people who started off with a really, really healthy budget, we found that the, you know, everything was absorbed in the build. And believe it or not, that actually doesn't bother me because I can remember way back when I did the RTE show house for Shane Filan. And this is incredible. It was a four bed semi-D. I had 25,000 to produce a show house in seven days with the cameras rolling. <laughs> but, but it was a 25 grand. That included the kitchen, the flooring, 
all the furnishings. And I created something that I have to say I am so proud of because it certainly was a quality finish. But that's all I had. That's, I couldn't go one euro over. That was it. Yeah. And I suppose so it, it can be done. It concentrates the mind if you're on such a fixed budget that, and timescale in your case that you have to get it done mm. and there's and there's no there's no end to it. Now, of course, you did your own um, house. You bought what you call a wreck of a house uh, <laughs> in Dublin and you transformed that. But you didn't spend a lot on that either, Anne. Listen, we came back from Bermuda and we thought naively, sure, we'll, you know, we have money saved. We'll buy a house in Dublin, fell in love with this old house in Fox Rock and had a mortgage as well and realised it was an absolute wreck. And we had no money to do anything with it because the banks wouldn't lend anymore. So I decided I wouldn't go back to work as a nurse. This would be my project and I'd raise the boys. And I can remember I used to run down to Buckley's auction house every single Wednesday I think it was I learned how to French polish I painted I stripped furniture I stripped floors I did it all myself and but you know because we didn't really have the money but I did have an eye and I you know I did certainly had an eye and that's when I decided I would study interior design professionally because I can remember when that house was being auctioned the Times actually featured it on the front of the property supplement I cried when I saw that you know because that was the level of the finish but it wasn't money it was cleverness and ingenuity and all of that. Now you're starting a new six-week interior design course and I know your snippets on Insta and these courses that you do, they're absolutely phenomenally popular because you're very practical and you're down to earth at showing people exactly what to do. This one is called Recession Proof Interior Design and it starts on Monday, October the 24th. One, and this is online so anybody can join in, one of the things that you advocate and you've mentioned it there is getting to grips with the DIY because the more you can do yourself, the less you have to call in somebody uh, to do it. But like some people, when I say some people, I mean me, uh, are kind of really bad at knowing our limitations or knowing what we can and can't do. What what do you recommend for, what things could everybody do that that we should be able to? Okay, that's a brilliant point. And that's one of the modules actually, it covers this. Anybody, I'm not a great painter and no painter would ever employ me, but I have painted and I've painted successfully. Done, not perfect is your mantra moving forward. I have upholstered small pieces of furniture because it doesn't have to be perfect just with a staple gun. Um, you can, sanding floors is hard work. You can do it. Um, you know, embracing ready-made curtains and things like that, you can do. You can hang your own art. I wouldn't recommend that you do any tiling. I certainly wouldn't recommend you chance any plumbing or electrics. Uh, But there is actually so much that you can do. And during lockdown, when I did my daily Facebook Lives on every single day during lockdown, never realising how long lockdown was going to be, so many people, because they couldn't actually get out of their house did things they never did before and came back to me and said, you know, if you hadn't encouraged me to do that, I'd never have done it. And then you have that sense of satisfaction and pride and you get the confidence and you might try a bigger job the next time. So it's all good. It's and is, all it, is there a sense, Anne, that like good enough is good enough? Uh, I mean, OK, you're saying professionals wouldn't employ or wouldn't maybe do it that way, but it's only hanging a picture. It's only painting a wall. And, and if you're happy enough with the finish on it, is that is that OK? It doesn't have to be this. perfect. It doesn't have to be. This is a new mantra that I I think in life, I think I was a perfectionist and perfectionism slowed me down as my excuse for not getting things done. Whereas now, you know, getting it done, just doing it done, not perfect. You know, nobody is going to notice when you've got your art in place and you've got your ready made curtains and, and all your cushions and everything. And nobody's going to notice that a painter didn't professionally paint your room. 
Yeah. Or even a piece of furniture. Like if somebody's got a bedroom set that they don't like because it's elm or mahogany or something that just looks dated, you know, literally painting that in white or a light grey and changing the handles, any of us can do that. And, it, it, you know, it looks like brand new furniture. There's so much that you can do. That's another thing that I tell my guys to do as well is to shop their house. You have things in your house, maybe a piece of art or lamps or a mirror or even a chair in another room. And you get so used to seeing it in that room mm. that you just leave it there. And just moving it around can just shake up the energy in your house and make things look totally different by putting them in a different room, you know? Brilliant. There's Brilliant a lot idea. you can do. Yeah, a no, lot. I think you're right. And and we don't kind of examine our own houses. We're all into getting the new stuff and the different stuff. And in fact, you could just be sitting there all the time, just in, in the wrong room. Uh, OK, and listen, thanks a million for that. Where can people find you now on Insta if they want to do uh, that course with you or look at some of your other uh, great little videos? Okay, well, all of the videos, if they go on the Rim Junkie Facebook page, everything is there. There's hundreds of videos there, like half a million people or more watch those, which is quite mind boggling. Uh, Instagram is Rim Junkie Anne. I haven't actually announced this course yet. So, um, well, there you go. (laughs) We have we have a premiere announced on the home show today (laughs) (laughs) and people can go and check it uh, there. And to the Room Junkie, thank you so much for joining us again on the home show this morning. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Now, still to come on The Home Show, we'll be talking about the best ways to prevent break-ins in your home. We'll be back after this. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan with you until nine o'clock before the break. I was speaking with the room junkie herself, Anne Tui, about recession proofing, but keeping stylish your interior design. If you'd like to listen back to that or any of our items, we are, of course, up on the podcast. You'll find that in the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. If you'd like to get in touch with us this morning, uh, contact us by text 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Now, CSO statistics have revealed that almost 10,000 burglaries and other related offences took place nationwide just in the first half of 2022. And as we come into the darker months and the shorter days, higher break-in rates become even more common. But there are some simple things we can do to avoid being targeted by thieves, as I was, as I mentioned, at the top Mm. of the show. Owen Dunn, Managing Director of Phone Watch, joins me in studio now to talk about this. You're very welcome, Long Owen. Thank you, Sinead. these are shocking statistics, Own Break them down for us a little bit. Sure. Well, what we're seeing, Sinead, is we're seeing um, the result of the return to normal, if you like, post-pandemic. And for most of it, that's great. But there are some elements of it that are a little less welcome. So what we're seeing is the return of an increase in the number of burglaries that are happening. In 2018-2019, there were about 16,000, 17,000 burglaries uh, annually nationwide. And when the pandemic hit, that reduced dramatically mm. for a lot of reasons. Because people because were at home. Lot. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah the, the good guys and the bad guys, I guess. Yeah. So uh, we, we had a, a fairly dramatic decrease in the number of burglaries over the 2020 and 2021. Mm. For the first six months of 2022, we're starting to see a significant increase in that. Mm. Um, Overall, about a 30% increase in the number of burglaries uh, in the first six months of 2022. And we're seeing that across the country. There are... Are there pockets, though, of places that are worse than others? Mm. Normally, when you see burglary statistics, there there are different stories. What's fairly dramatic about these figures is that of the 28 Garda districts, 
25 of them are actually seeing a significant increase in burglaries. So there's only a, a couple of three, I think, that are, are actually seeing reduction. And in most of those, we're seeing quite a significant one. The majority of those are seeing a 30% plus increase in the number of burglaries uh, in the last six months. So I, I think we're, we're, thankfully, we're coming from a relatively low base mm. because, uh, as I said, there was a dramatic decrease over COVID. But there's no doubt that the trend is very much upwards now. And I think we would like people to be vigilant and aware of the fact that, uh, unfortunately, burglary is Yeah, indeed. There. And I mean, I, I think the kind of, as I alluded at the top of the show, I, I think a lot of the fear comes from the knowledge that burglaries can happen while you're in the house and not necessarily in the middle of the night. I yes. mean, and, and th- mm. it's that sense of, of invasion mm. Mm. Um, that, that really worries people. D- do you get a sense of that from, from customers? We absolutely do. Uh, 10,000 burglaries is kind of like a statistic, but it, 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 there are 10,000, you know, individual, if you like, traumas and tragedies. And when we talk to customers and we do research and, you know, we do all that sort of stuff, we, we find that people can replace things, um, the things that are taken, um, whether that be money or jewellery, whatever. It's, it's, it's exactly as you say, it's the sense of intrusion and invasion of, of your personal space. Your, your, your home is your castle. And the fact that somebody has been in there, you're right, about half of all burglaries occur when you're in the home. Uh, which is 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 quite frightening. Yeah. So so the thought that somebody was there while you were there, I I, I think can be very dramatic. For yeah, people. and to these little toe rags. I mean, okay, it's a bike or it's a TV or it's a laptop. But you know, oh, they have insurance. You know, mm. that's their that's their justification for it. I need X. I need drugs. They have insurance. There's no crime here. Like, what's the big deal? But that's not really what bothers people, as you say. It's not the mm. replacement of stuff. No. It's the rifling through cupboards, mm. you know, uh, to, through presses. It's the intimacy that has been broken. Exactly. that The fact that your personal space has been invaded or yeah. intruded, yeah. for the want of a better word. Look, there, there is, look, let's face it, there is no, no excuse uh, no. For, for, for this. And I think that the, the, the key for that, I mean, we, we've been in the business for 30 years now mm. and in that 30 years like everything has changed the market has changed customer expectations have changed technology mm. in our business has changed dramatically the advice that we give has never ever changed Okay well let's go with some of that advice then and I look these are practical things that people yeah. can do and it's really mm. just about that constant awareness presumably just to make it a habit rather than something you think about uh, after the fact. So, Owen, wh- what practical uh, help can you offer for people now, just as the, as I say, the nights are, are beginning to draw in? Well, apologies in advance if this seems overly simplistic, but the, the, way, through, uh, the way through a wall is through a door or a window, and yeah. everybody will have locks on their doors and their windows, but, but does everybody know that they have working locks? And do they actually use them? And so, where the key is for exactly, the windows. <laughs> exactly. No, that, you know, exactly. Yeah. Those little keys that, you know, for, for mm. the locks. So do, are your doors and windows, do they have good locks and do you check them? Mm. It's as simple as that. Mm. And you're absolutely right, Sinead. It's not about being scared or, or, or a lot of trepidation. It's just about being vigilant and yeah. being aware. That, yeah. That's really it. Just check your doors and windows whether, when you're there, when you're not there. Uh, certainly, you know, when, when you're retiring for the night. So, that's the first thing. Lights. Um, 
again, technology has moved on now. People don't necessarily, especially in the current uh, energy crisis, you know, may not want to leave lights on. Mm. But uh, smart plugs are now very common. We, we use them as part of our proposition where you can simply... Uh, you know, have a have a smart plug, which means that the uh, the light will come on at a particular time of your choosing. Uh, if you're on the way home and it's dark and you, you thought you'd be there earlier, you can flick on a smart. Plug. I'm a big fan of the outside light. You know the ones that that are kind of motion censored, and somebody comes up at your front door or comes yeah. up at your back door, and suddenly there's a yeah. blazing yeah. light on. You yeah. know, um, and uh, like, does it act as a deterrent at all, or do you yeah. just think it does? No, no, it it absolutely does. Lights. This stuff happens best in the dark. Burglars so, don't so like them. Yeah. That's true. So lights inside, lights outside, uh, okay. doors and windows. Um, the, the the key in terms, of if if you're away from now, mm. don't do anything or don't let anything occur that gives the impression that you're away from the home. Now you're talking about social media here are you updating your look at me on holidays outside my home on, yeah. on Facebook and that. I, I am. I, I'm talking about that. Yeah. Don't let people know don't advertise the fact that you're away but also the more fundamental things. If you've left your bins out you know get somebody to bring them in. If uh, if you're away for a period of time and there's going to be posts piling up don't let them do that. You know, m- most people have a, a, a good friend or neighbour close mm. by who can just check in, take in the bins. Water um, the plants and lock yeah, up after. So the, that's the second thing is just make sure that you do everything. Simple things to make sure there's no uh, obvious sign that you're not at home. And the, the, the third thing, and you'd expect me to say this, is, is if you have an alarm, switch it on. Because unfortunately, you talked about earlier about our customers. We from time to time do get very unfortunate experiences where people have an alarm. They didn't switch it Mm. on and the worst happens. Well, I'm running to the shops. I'm just picking up the kids from school. Mm. I'll only be a minute. But that's that's really what they're looking for, isn't it? Targeting. That's exactly it. And and what we do know uh, about burglary, and and there is no excuse for it, it is opportunistic. It is the people. Is it now? Because I think people do worry. I mean, certainly in my own case, you know, it was, were we being followed? Did Mm. somebody know the bike was in the shed? All that kind of thing. Is it the case that most of it is just somebody passing and spotting an opportunity? Yes, that that's and, and as I say, we've been we've talked about this a lot. We've researched it a lot. There are two types. There are, if you like, planned, uh, and then there is opportunistic. And the majority of it is opportunistic, and that's why we urge people just to take those uh, the, the, those little precautions for a side gate. If you go out a side gate. Close it, yeah. lock it, an open side gate. I suppose a lot of it is about, you know, giving the burglar the encouragement to move on. Just make it that little bit difficult. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Owen, tell me what the response times are like now because you you run phone watches mm. and monitored alarm system and yeah. when that alarm goes off, there's yeah. a call to say, what's your password? Are you all right? And then if not, the guards are called. Isn't that right? Do you find that that relationship is mm. speedy enough that it works well? Yeah, in terms of the response times that, that, that we talk about, Sinead, um, as, as you say, a monitored alarm, if it's activated, a signal will come into our alarm receiving centre. On average, we will respond to that within about 14, 15 seconds on average. Mm. So uh, we will then, and, and with our technology now, with a lot of video and visual verification, we will be able to assess very quickly what's happening. In the event that we either see something occurring that shouldn't or we can contact the, the homeowner or the key holders, we will uh, contact the, the appropriate emergency response mm. um, a service, that would be that the guards or the ambulance or the fire brigade. 
Look, as I said, we're 30 years in the business and we we have an excellent relationship with with, with the Gardaí. We always have. And, uh, you know, we, we, we that, that hopefully will continue. We've had, I've been in this role for, for almost a decade now. And, you know, in that time, I've personally never experienced the situation where a customer had issue with the response either from ourselves yeah. or from, yeah. from the emergency very good. services. Finally, right. Well, answer me a final question then. What are the rules around, because this drives people potty, me included, when an alarm goes off, nearby and it goes on and on and on and on and you can't work and you can't do anything and you can't sleep. Are there laws around that? Isn't it supposed to knock off at a particular time? There are. Thankfully, I'm not qualified because as a monitored alarm company, we don't have, we generally don't have, have noisemakers, if you like. They're, they're standalone yeah. alarms that yeah. simply make noise. I think, in fairness, there are, there, there is legislation and regulation around that and that, uh, you know, there is a, a duty of care to your neighbours that you don't have this. Personally, I experienced it a couple of months ago and it was, it was awful. It went on and on and on. Yeah. There are regulations around that. What I would say is to avoid any of that, seriously consider getting a monitor to the <laughs> right. Oh, and Managing Director of Phone Watch. Thanks a million for all those hints and tips. And if listeners out there have their own hints and tips for keeping their home safe and preventing burglaries or at least encouraging the burglars to move on, uh, do let us know 53106 or you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. Now, the annual conference of the Royal Institute of Architects in Ireland has been taking place this week. And one architect who's determined to revolutionise the sustainability of the industry is Christina Gamboa from Lacolle Architects, who joins me now in studio. You're very welcome to the home show, Christina. Thank you very much. The pronunciation OK there? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right, my Spanish not being what it should be. Um, so this conference now, it runs every single year and the theme for it this year is Places for People. Now, that kind of seems obvious. We should be building places for people, certainly at the moment when, you know, we have uh, such a housing crisis and a shortage of accommodation. But you're discussing at this conference housing as a collective process. Just tell our listeners what you mean by that. Yeah, exactly. Well, basically, we were uh, presenting our experience in Barcelona. So we have been focused since almost 10 years ago to promote and work with cooperative housing, which is an alternative mode to access housing through a cooperative structure, which means that people, it's really having an active role to uh, solve collectively the need of housing. So it means that uh, a group of people organize themselves and with the collaboration of municipalities and also technicians like architects like Lacolle, they can uh, solve this need. So it's a way to provide affordable and accessible housing, plus like the private sector, plus the, the, the public sector, but just trying to increase the solutions. So are you saying then that to have people involved in the provision of their own housing is key to this because you get the buy-in from the people who are going to live in the area. What practical steps are needed for that to happen? Because it seems to me that here we have a developer who has an idea, puts in a plan, everybody objects to it, and then it's either accepted or amended and whatever is built is built. Your approach is different. Yeah, exactly. Of course, um, 
the the user, the future inhabitant, is not uh, typical to be involved. So this is something uh, difficult. And when we talk with a housing agency in Spain, for example, there is a fear for the user. There is a fear for the inhabitant because it's unknown. So it's interesting because this is allowing to understand the real needs of the people and the society nowadays that normally we are designing homes for a family. Mm-hmm. And nowadays there is many ways to understand the, the concept of family, people living alone, people living with uh, friends, many different needs. So, for example, from this starting point, this, this understanding of the reality but in the second hand, like the management of the infrastructure of the building uh, in terms of sustainability, in terms of care, in terms of social aspects, it's also there's a potential there. So I think okay. that if we want to have a more sustainable environment and a more sustainable kind of also society and building environment, we need also to, to discuss all these things with people who, is, who are going to live there. How important has it been to have different housing types in the same complex because for for many years here we built either kind of all the same type of apartment or all the same types of houses in housing estates. So you seem to be advocating the one bed, two bed, three bed, families, people living alone. Is that integration very important? Well, exactly, because these are also cooperative uh, with people from many, also many different ages. And I think that we are also facing many uh, social challenges, such as the aging population, for example. Mm-hmm. But also for, for the young people, it's also super difficult to access housing. So, for example, if you are young, you don't have kids, for example, so you need a, a smaller flat. Or if you are an older person, maybe you are living alone. So I think that if we understand the whole needs of the society, we mm-hmm. We also need different kind of um, houses. Now, Barcelona, where you come from, is, of course, a beautiful city. And anybody who's been there will return again and again. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but is it true to say that, or fair to say that, in in a lot of cities like that, it, there is a, an urban sprawl out to the suburbs where maybe you have very high density or high uh, apartment blocks. And... There, there is that sense that maybe people don't want to be shoveled outside the city into into this type of housing and they prefer to be integrated more in towns and cities, maybe above the shop living or um, kind of a more integrated um, sense of community. Is that something that you've tried to do? Uh, I think that one of the main goals is to allow people to really remain in their neighborhoods because in the case of Barcelona, what is happening is that it's a really compact city and also with also cities around the mountains and the sea. So it's not possible to really spread the city. So also this means that there is process of gentrification, prices are increasing, mm. so people it's forced to move out of the city. So if we can increase the affordable uh, stock of housing, this will uh, let people remain in their neighborhoods with their communities with their, their networks and this is the main goal exactly so just allow people to to live in the city of course this is something that needs certain uh, bases or like the first uh, steps because this is possible because there is a uh, organ- uh, kind of uh, neighborhood organization and these kind of projects are emerging and in specific places it's something that needs a time needs a process and it's Money. not possible everywhere mm. right now no? <laughs> yeah yeah. And and there are moves afoot in Dublin, particularly, um, and, and indeed Cork and, and Galway, to have um, a re- re-emergence of people back into their cities that they own rather than having to commute in all the time, you know, for that. So it's good to see uh, other cities and what they do uh, and how they go about it. Do you think it's it's possible for a city like, like Dublin or Cork to, to embrace those well, opportunities? 
I think that, uh, of course, it could be possible. I think that cooperative housing has been uh, an option, an action, that from the society and also from the municipality, it's been promoted in parallel or plus many others. So I think that the housing crisis cannot be solved with just one action, with just cooperative housing, but it's put energies together with many other actions. So definitely, yes. Is it good to have a European oversight here, do you think? And and rather than have individual countries working by themselves to have maybe, a, which we do have, a European strategy, maybe a little bit stronger, um, maybe instructing countries how to go about that best? Well, I think that in one hand, it's this is... Oil. I think that it should be a kind of really bottom-up process. Just people organize and just people understanding what they need. But at the same time, of course, there is a need of uh, knowledge, mm. of uh, tools. And for example, we have been uh, researching about international case studies and bringing this knowledge to Barcelona. So it would be fantastic if there is any European network that allows mm. this mm. knowledge to spread everywhere, for example. no. So definitely I think that it's something that has to be from bottom up, but also top, top, down, top down, from... European uh, networks, but also general governments also, they are trying to implement uh, housing policies Mm -hmm. and arriving to the local uh, Mm. environment. Good. All right. Well, we need all the help we can get. (laughs) Christina Gamboa of Lacal Architects in Barcelona, thank you so much for joining us today on The Home Show. Thank you very much. Now, coming up after the break, TV chef Lily Higgins will be here chatting all things autumn from keeping the kids amused to delicious dishes to try with her new book. Now, my next guest is a whiz in the kitchen, but in her new book, The Homemade Year, the TV chef and food writer lets her creativity shine in other ways. So here to help us embrace autumn is Lily Higgins. Lily, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Thanks for having me. Now, we're used to all the cookbooks and the beautiful recipes and you working hard in the kitchen. But this book is a little bit different. Um, There's much more in it. 70 projects. Where did you get the inspiration from? Yeah. Well, it's kind of been something I've been working on forever, like since I was a little girl. It's, um, I don't know if you had those childcraft books when you were small, you know, all the multicoloured books and they're all arts and crafts and different little projects. And I used just to love them when I was little going through them. So sort of over time, I've been doing loads of different little projects, just like the ones that are in the book, um, kind of my whole life. Like I'm one of those people that can't just sit down and watch a film. I have to be knitting or crocheting while I'm watching it. So, <laughs> so I just love um, like learning new skills and sort of creating things. It's just um, such a rewarding experience to do that. And it's not like it's not just for kind of adults multitasking as you are. It's it's things for kids, things to do in the kitchen, things to do outdoors, crafts, all that kind of stuff. Um, so. Was this inspired in part, I know you're a busy mum yourself of three kids, yeah. was it kind of that those moments, those rainy afternoons where you're trying to keep everybody busy and get the dinner on and all that? Was, is it that type of project that that kind of uh, gave you uh, some of the ideas? Yeah, exactly. It was kind of, um, I suppose during lockdown, we all sort of slowed down a lot and we sort of were looking around the house for different things to do. And like you were saying, I have three kids and they love, you know, they can actually kind of get sick of doing the computer games and the telly and the Netflix. And they actually want to be making something. So sort of, I love the idea of tying in with the seasons as well. So like that, you know, we'd go for a walk. Now this time of year, it's perfect. We all get out and go for a walk. And then they always end up collecting things. So if it's leaves or shells, and then you can go home and you can make a lovely autumn wreath with all the leaves that you collected. 
So it's kind of a, you know, there's loads of different parts to it and there's sort of a story to tell there about, you know, we went for a walk, collected the leaves, came home, made them. So like the idea was the book was for adults, but I'm seeing loads of sort of teenagers and younger kids all just, you know, even just pouring over the pictures, you know, um, which is great because I wanted it to be so visual because you need lots of um, sort of instructional photographs and sort of inspirational photographs as well to make someone want to make something and to believe that they could give it a go as well. So um, I wanted them to be really doable. Now, you've had a very varied career to get you to this point. Um, what qualifications, what things have you done in your own background uh, apart from the cookery that have got you to this point? Because you've had, you, 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 there were a bit of kind of a few things that you gave a go, isn't that right? Yeah, so when I when I came out of school, I did like a year of art, just sort of a foundation course to build up a portfolio. Um, and that was in SIF on AFA. I love PLC courses. I think they're fantastic getting your feet cert and they're a really good way to dip your toe in the water or something. So I did art for one year and then I went to St. John's College and did animation for another year. And then I knew then that I wanted to work in design. So I did my degree in design and CIT then for four years. Um, but then when I finished that, I knew that I wanted to work in food. So then that's when I sort of branched out then. So it's kind of been a lifelong love affair between sort of design and making things and then food and sort of recipes and then sort of content creation online is where I bring both of those things together where you're creating something, you know, visually. So it's it's kind of the, the career didn't really exist. I had to kind of make it for myself, you know, just through trial and error. But um I think I'm finally kind of getting there now. <laughs> <laughs> You're finally finding out what you want to be when you're grown up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, yeah. I'd venture to say that you're obviously very, very busy, but maybe a tad restless. Do you find that craft projects kind of bring you back to earth or, or give you a focus, at least for, for the few the hour or two that you're doing them? Definitely, yeah. I think that's a really good point. And sort of dealing with natural materials as well is so grounding so even if you're, you've got little pine cones and, you know, lovely cotton or you're knitting with beautiful wool, I find that really sort of ties you to the seasons and to the place where you are. So like one of the projects is just to make a little jewellery tree just out of twigs and branches. So even just rummaging around the garden, getting loads of branches this time of year, there's a load of them. Um, and you just sort of get them together and wrap a bit of thread around them and you can paint them. And then you've got a beautiful jewellery tree for hanging up your jewellery. So that can take as long or as short as you want, you know, so you can kind of tailor it to become more of an experience. But I really do find it such a grounding thing, like you were saying, that you feel less restless when you're knitting and you're trying to focus on not slipping a stitch, you know, yeah, you're trying yeah. to count all your stitches and even embroidery and everything. It's sort of a lovely, slow way of living, which I think we're all sort of trying to embrace a bit as it's getting busier around us. Yeah, and maybe keep that habit from all those dreaded, dreadful lockdowns that we we endured. Now, I've been taking a look through the book, which is beautifully photographed, by the way, and I believe you did most of that yourself (laughs) uh, and styled and all of that. Um, I'm I'm detecting a tiny bit of the control freak, but I won't say that out loud, (laughs) Lily, of course. (laughs) All the writing, all the photography, all the styling, sure to bind up all the copies. You're keeping it, keeping it in the family. Um, now, I was looking through some of the autumn topics because obviously that's the season we're in at the moment and you've done it across the four seasons, which is lovely. So you can have the book out for a year. Um, so let me talk, if I may, about some uh, tips and hints around some of these. Now, you've selected my favourite flower, the hydrangea, and dried it. Now, this is such a delicate flower. Um, give me some steer on how to do that uh, project because it just looks beautiful. Yeah, so I just love hydrangeas and 
like over the years, I've kind of dried them out almost by mistake, you know, where you just have them in a vase and then you've left the water in and the water just evaporates <laughs> and they dry out. They're always the ones that are perfect, you know, the ones that you've left. Yeah. And then I've tried hanging them upside down and they just turn sort of crispy and brown. So what I found the process, the best way to dry them and preserve them is to put a little bit of water at the end of the glass and just leave that water slowly evaporate and just do a really slow process. Um, and then you can use them for even for reeds this time of year. They're absolutely beautiful to decorate your door with the whole reed full of hydrangeas. They're absolutely gorgeous. And do they hold their body when you dry them like that? Yeah, that's it. They don't they don't shrink down as much. So there's a few different varieties, really. Um, so some of them, you know, the ones with the stronger petals, the sort of louder, mm-hmm. um, louder ones, they're a lot stronger and a lot better. They dry better than the small little ones. Um, so I find them a lot better. But... It, the colour sort of stays much better as well when you do it this way. Um, and I still haven't tried putting, you know, colouring into the water because I just love the sort of lovely green colours and you don't know how they're going to fade either. So I just love yeah. that, you know. The element of excitement. Well, you've heard it first in the home show. Loud hydrangeas. That's where you start. Right. <laughs> now, back to the food. Of course, there is great recipes in here and great foodie ideas, actually for gifts, uh, along with anything else, maybe coming in the run up to Christmas. Pickled vegetables. Now, I have pickled successfully red onion. Um, yeah. I, I haven't really thought about doing it with other vegetables. So tell me what, what kind yeah. of things we could be pickling. Yeah, so this is a great one for food waste. You know, if you've got, like if you've made a stir fry and you've got some um, leftover cauliflower or peppers or onions and ginger and garlic, like you could put a a multitude of things all in a jar with vinegar. But I love doing separate ones. Like I love doing um, cauliflower with turmeric and some mustard seeds. And like when they're, you know, leave them for a few weeks and then they're beautiful with things like hummus or on top of a salad bowl or with falafel. So it's it's almost like meal prep, you know, where you're preparing all these vegetables to just dip into. And like the pink pickled onions are a great one to have. And you can just add them to sandwiches. They're incredible, actually, in toasted sandwiches. I love pickled onions in toasted sandwiches. Um, but they're just a really handy thing to do. And you can pickle most things. Like even if people are growing their own tomatoes, you might have a few cherry tomatoes left now. And you could pack them all in a jar with some lime peel and with all your vinegar and just leave them pickle and they'd be beautiful you know for your next nacho night or anything oh, you could right. have all pickled the tomatoes. tomatoes now I never heard of that yeah, one before okay lovely. okay that's mm-hmm. a good one and of course now we're all about style and design on the home show here and people have the open shelves and the pantries and that look of all those little kilner jars with your home pickling I mean it really would give you an edge on Instagram oh it? definitely a rainbow <laughs> vegetables they're so beautiful they really are yeah, yeah. people say where did you buy those oh I made them <laughs> myself out of Lily Higgins book <laughs> right okay now painted terracotta pots uh, we have had um, uh, a plethora of terracotta pots most of us in the garden at some some of them are a bit better condition than others uh, but taking them in and and having a paint project maybe with the kids to use them for other things is a great idea primer is important here Lily I'm thinking because they're quite porous they are very porous yeah exactly so it, I suppose that it depends on what effect you're looking for um, like I've had my daughter has had a play date with two of her friends and they just had a load of pots and they spent a good two hours just decorating their pots. Yeah. So you could use stencils, you could use any paint you want. Usually these are the ones that I keep inside, you know, for all my succulents and that. But mm. you'd have to seal them outside then if you're putting them outside just so the paint doesn't run. But yeah. it is a really simple project and it's a great way of sort of upcycling any broken pots 
or any pots that need a bit of a makeover as well. Indeed. And of course, they can be used for pens and pencils and hair bobbins and bits yeah. of change and whatever. And it's a great it's a great way of, of getting them to tidy up without them even realising they're doing it. <laughs> um, OK, now back to the recipes. Uh, toffee apples. Now, this time of year is the teeth crunching uh, toffee apple. I love them, but I'm always terrified the fillings are going to come out. How do I get the toffee apples just right? I know. Well, it's kind of a confidence thing with the caramel. So when you're making your caramel, it's, you don't want it to get too dark because that's when it really, um, that's when it really, really will become too tough. So the recipe I have in the book is the type that is, it'll set, but it'll get softer over time. So it's best eaten the day that you make them. So you can make them straight away and then have them within an hour or two is best eaten. Or otherwise it will get softer, you know, but that is, um, because I don't want people's teeth to fall out. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I have loads of tips in there as well for, you know, to clean your pans as soon as, you know, have the kettle boiled and ready to pop in. It's important. There's nothing worse than losing a yeah. pan over something like oh my caramel. And my kids were thrilled with this project because it's just like something out of Hocus Pocus. And it's not like something you would usually do, but they loved it. Hmm. Um, and you could sort of dip any type of little apples you could do. There's, people have loads of apples in their gardens. Now, this year seems to be an amazing um, bounty of apples. Hmm. It's a great harvest, so I'm getting loads of people asking me for recipes for apples. So um, this is a lovely little project. And I've just used little twigs from outside as a sticks as well. Okay, cool. So, so you're not going off using what you have. Buying, the, buying the lollipop sticks and trying yeah, to insert exactly. them. Okay. Okay, very nice witch's brew. And of course, any leftover then, you can make them coming up to Halloween and you'll be the you'll be the visit of the neighbourhood uh, for all of that. Um, you sound like the busiest person going. But listen, it's been a joy to have you on the show. Uh, the Homemade Year is available at Eason now for nineteen ninety nine. Um, Lily, where can people find you on social? Thanks for doing it, um, I'm on Instagram, um, on TikTok and it's just Lily Higgins. You put that in, I should pop up. Of course it is. You're very, very good. And thanks a million for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thanks a million. And that is all we have time for on the show this morning. If you'd like to get involved in the show, you've a guest you'd like to put our way or a topic you'd like to hear us cover. Well, look, we'd be delighted to hear from you. 53106 or email us during the week uh, at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And don't forget to check out our previous items and our podcasts. If you're certainly if you're new to the show, a new listener and you're very welcome along, we have a whole back catalogue that you can listen to up on the Newstalk app or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you look for The Home Show with Sinead Ryan, we're here every Saturday morning at 8. Have a fantastic weekend. Anton is up next, so stay tuned for that.